You're listening to Behind the Wheels with Doug Mason, Dave Walters, and Mike Yeagley. This is a show where we talk about heavy truck and medium-duty axolands. Doug, Dave, and Mike bring close to 100 years of experience and expertise in the transportation business. Join us once a month to learn new things about axolands. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Wheels. I'm Mike Yeagley. And today we have a very special episode uh, lined up for you. We're going to be talking with Jamie Irvine from Heavy Duty Parts Report. And we had a great discussion with him on Wheel Torque Solutions. And so, Jamie, thank you for inviting us to your podcast. And thank you for that opportunity to talk to you about what we've done. It was great to uh, have the three of you on uh, the Heavy Duty Parts Report. And one thing that I really found is that th- this episode that we're going to share with your audience today, it- it's like a little master class. And I-, I know I've been in heavy duty parts for 22 plus years, and-, and I learned a lot from the episode. I really enjoyed it. So it was a real pleasure to have you guys, and, and I'm glad to be here today. Well, thank you again, Jamie. And really looking forward to this. I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did. Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin. We're here with the hosts of Alcoa Wheels Behind the Wheel podcast, and we're going to hear about a success story that goes back 10 years. A group of industry experts came together to solve a customer's wheel torque issues. Now, our guests today made their debut on the Heavy Duty Parts Report on June 1st, 2020, episode 48. Links are in the show notes if you'd like to go back and listen to that episode. Now, I'd like to introduce all of our guests today. So, Doug, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. Thank you much, Jamie. Very happy to be back. Thank you. It's a COVID world, and you're in the basement today. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Sounds good. Dave, nice to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Jamie. It's great to be back. Mike, nice to have you back. Thanks, Jamie. So, we are here today to talk about a, a really a success story, but In order to understand the whole story, we've kind of got to go back in time. Ten years ago, you had a fleet reach out to you. Uh, What kind of fleet was it, and what was the problem that they were having? Um, It was a major waste company in the U.S., and they were having wheel-offs. And nobody in the industry likes to discuss wheel-offs. It's one of those topics where we know they're out there, but nobody wants to talk about it. This company was having issues, and they basically came to a group of four of us and said, hey, would you be on the team? So they wanted a you know, wheel guy, a stud guy, a nut and hub guy, and then a torque tool gentleman. And we all gathered in their facility in Detroit because it was centrally located with the companies that was involved in this. And we'd go up there and... You know, we would have our planning session to say, would this give you better clamp load? Would this help in the wheel retention? So we were kind of, I would describe us as mad scientists with actual trucks that we could try our ideas and concepts at. And as we went through this process, we could say, wow, this is working. This is not working. So one of the great things that came out of this to start with was we didn't realize that grip length means a lot. And grip length means if you would run aluminum wheels compared to steel, you're getting the longer stud. So anything from the, you know, the head of the stud till the, the nut body. So, I mean, cast drums were thicker than a steel jacketed drum. Aluminum hubs was thicker than that. So the concept went to let's get more grip length because this is going to help us in wheel retention. So I know Mike can 
help us kind of explain that a little bit more to our listeners? Right. So the situation is this fleet's having wheel offs. This is dangerous. They bring you experts together to say, help us solve the problem. And as you started to tackle it, you started through trial and error to try to identify what's the problem and how to solve it. So Mike, let's go a little further on on torque grip. Why is it so important? Explain to us what was learned from uh, working with this fleet to try to solve their problem. Well, I guess fundamentally, the very first thing our listeners, your, your listeners have to understand is that the stud is essentially a spring. It acts like a spring. When you take a spring, you pull it apart, and that introduces force that holds the whole thing together. When you torque a nut, you're pulling that stud, and, and you're actually stretching the stud slightly. Now that stud is acting like a spring. What Dave is talking about there with grip length is really the difference between having a little tiny spring and trying to pull it and having a good spring with a lot of metal there that you can pull on and you get a little bit more spring back. We've all pulled those little, like those springs that are in, in pens. You pull one of those apart, the little tiny thing, and it stretches. It overstretches very easily. You start having problems pretty quickly. Try to do that with the spring from a brake pot. <laughs> like Dave said, the more you're putting between the head of the bolt and that nut, the more space there is there, the more you're making use of that spring, that stud that is actually, we're treating like a spring. And when we do the math, it's, it all shows up in the physics. You know, if you go back, we use a, a calculation called Hooke's Law, and this is developed back in the 1700s or something to understand how springs work. And you, you go through the math and that'll tell you that really the grip of that spring is directly proportional to the amount of length you've got to it. So if you want to increase the, the grip, if you want to increase the clamping forces, you increase the length. And an easy way to do that is, like Dave said, add materials that are going to make that stud a little, act a little bit longer. This is probably obvious, but um, I, I want to ask just to make sure I have this correct in my mind. So when we talk about the stud acting like a spring, we're not talking about being able to visually with our eye see the, the stud stretching. This is something at a, at a much uh, like a microscopic level, but it is measurable from an engineering perspective. That's exactly correct, Jamie. You know, really, you know, you're, you're not going to see that stud actually stretch. If you do, but... you got a bigger problem. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If, if you see that stud stretching, then yeah, you are in a big, big world of hurt. And that's, that's a whole different world of uh, that. Maybe that's another visit, but the, there's a lot going on there. If you start seeing that stud stretching, but it is stretching slightly in what's called the elastic zone. And when a, when a stud stretches in the elastic zone, if you let it go, it'll go back to its original shape. Once you go outside of the elastic zone, when you stretch it further, it goes into what's called the plastic zone, then it can't go back to its original shape. And so that's what's happening. When you correctly torque a nut on a stud, you're stretching it in the, in the elastic zone. And when you pull that back, that stud should go back to its normal, its original shape just like a regular, like a spring would. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so back in my machining days, I remember having to calculate uh, how to machine some threads onto a rod. And that was that was lots of fun. I actually messed it up the first time and just about blew <laughs> the lathe apart because I went too deep and I broke the tooling off. It was a, It was almost a disaster. But I was like 19 and just learning how to be a machinist. So I guess they forgave me. Uh, Doug, when it comes to um, 
the threads on a stud, there's a there's a real difference between a rolled and a cut thread. Could you explain to us the difference and why that was relevant in this story? Yeah, the the difference is again in the manufacturing process. You were describing how that you were trying to cut threads, and when you were beginning your machinist, uh, you know, endeavor, you moved on to something else. That's why I'm a podcast host now, not a machinist. <laughs> I didn't have high levels of skill there. <laughs> so what happens when you're when you're machining them in is you're actually obviously cutting and removing material. Right. So you have a, a bar, a stock bar, and you turn it to a certain, you know, thread pitch and everything that you need, and you're removing the steel. When you do what's called a rolled thread, you don't remove any material in that case. And what ends up happening is you mechanically are putting the threading in through a die setup. A hardened tool steel is creating that as you roll it through. And the benefit to that is number one, you're creating a compressive stress in the root of the of the thread. And that's going to be the weakest portion and where wheels are going to start to fall apart first, or the, sorry, the studs are supposed to going to fall apart first. And so you create an indention with the thread. You have this compressive force that's now put in there. You're not removing any material. You're actually pushing it in on itself. And so you're not removing any of the grain, we would call it, that would be in a, a normal machining situation where you're removing and cutting right through the grain. So you get little tears when you do the uh, machining portion, as opposed to a very smooth finish when you do the rolled portion. So the overall strength of the part, when you're talking from a tensile perspective, and then more importantly, um, from a fatigue perspective, you improve the fatigue life by having rolled threads. So that's, that's really the main difference. It's the process that you use, but it creates a big difference in the overall strength and the fatigue life of the stud itself. So utilizing those in this situation, when you get to a point where you start, as Mike was calling, going from the perhaps uh, elastic to the plastic zone, you're going to be able to create more deformation more rapidly in a machined thread as opposed to a rolled thread. And so in this case, I believe uh, and Dave can talk more about it, but the people that he was working with, they said, hey, let, guys, let's use a rolled threaded parts. That's going to be better overall. And I think that was one of the learnings they had that they start putting all these things together. The uh, actual stretch length, you want to call it, the grip length, the stud that's being used. And we'll talk about a few other things as well that went into improving this process dramatically. Right. So, so Dave, when you were going through this process with that fleet, um, it sounds to me like there was a lot of varib variables at play. And so you, you must have had to just eliminate these kind of one at a time in order to kind of get to the root cause. Is that kind of the approach that you took? Absolutely. I mean, every time we would think of something and you got to realize a refuge fleet is unlike any other fleet of trucks where an average refuge trucks was having 14 flats a year where a normal over the road truck is slim to none. So just a simple thing like a road threaded stud kept that life going through their life cycle of their truck compared to a cut thread. So they were trying to figure out the cost endeavors of all this. And it's like, wow, it might cost more up front, but it's going to save us a ton of money because these studs can last 50 times compared to 10. And so a lot of knowledge was being learned and people would say, like, wow, that's that's really great. Well, we didn't know this going in it, but after we were experimenting and working with these trucks, that's one of the lessons we learned. 
This has been a fascinating conversation, guys. I'm really excited to finish it and to um, also hear how the story ended. So, uh, Mike, what are indexing sleeves and how do they impact safety? Well, I guess another one of the things you, you know that Dave did talk about was uh, indexing sleeves, like you mentioned. Now, indexing sleeves are basically, if you look at a wheel on a stud, right? The, we design the wheel so it has a lot of clearance, so there's not any problem. The bolt hole, it has a lot of clearance on it, and there's no problem putting the wheel tires onto the, onto the hub. One of the problems with that is that, you know, once that wheel starts moving around in there, once the torque gets up even a little bit, you can get a lot of movement. That clearance that we give our customers to make mounting easy allows for movement of the wheel under that nut if the torque gives at all. And so what indexing sleeves do is it's basically very simple. It's a, it's just a little typically plastic, you just slip it on and it fills that gap between the wheel and the stud. The stud is 22 millimeters in diameter. The wheel is 26, 27 millimeters in diameter. The wheel, the bolt hole is 26, 27. So you've got this little bit of clearance and that fills that up. The reason that's important is that when a, a wheel gets loose, when a nut gets loose, one of the things that happens is there's movement underneath there. And just like we're, we're counting on the friction between the nut and the wheel to hold the whole thing together. Once there's movement in any of those, any of those surfaces, you start losing that friction and it just starts going off the rails on you. It's, you know, you'll start losing more and more friction m- much more quickly. Right. As the, those holes get elongated too, right? Which then creates more of a gap, which then it's almost like a positive feedback loop. Is that correct? Exactly. Once you get any motion in that joint, it's going to start getting away from you. Then you start introducing motion in the adjoining joints and everything can come loose pretty quickly. Well, it takes time, but it's better to not have the motion, right? And so what the indexing sleeve does is it just fills up that gap, reduces the amount of motion to almost zero, and it really does help keep that joint nice and tight. It takes that vibration out, And if you do have a little loosening, it increases your amount of time where you can go in and and find it and tighten it back up again. The more motion there is, the faster that's going to come loose. The less motion there is, you know, it's the more time you have to find any problems that are out there. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And uh, the English language is a funny language, right? We have all these misnomers like a positive feedback loop sounds like it should always be positive. But it can actually create negative uh, uh, effects at a much rap- more rapid rate. So, Doug, I'll ask you a question. Like here in Canada, we have a law where if um, if a wheel is taken off and then put back on for any reason, the repair place that does it, they have to put a little tag. They kind of hang it from your usually your gear shifter. And it says that this wheel has been removed and put back on. And here's the torque specifications. And you have to come back in in 100 kilometers or 60 miles and retorque, have those nuts retorqued. Can you explain the science behind why that's so important? Because, you know, the conventional wisdom would be get the biggest impact gun you've got, ram that sucker on there, and then it's tight. Yeah. Everything we've been talking about all kind of comes together in this instance, Jamie. Obviously, when you're torquing down the nut itself, you're creating a force and stretching that stud, as Mike has mentioned to us. Obviously, if you stretch it too far, like taking the slinky of days of old and pulling it too far, then, oh, no, it won't go back. I can't use my slinky anymore. That's the same thing that happens here. So if you over-torque and thus 
stretch this stud too far, it, it will not go back into shape. And so it's very important that you meet the requirements of the torque that is specified by the OEM for that particular setup. Every different uh, vehicle, you go from a class one to a class eight, are going to have different torques that are required to hold that wheel in place. And so when you use a pneumatic nut runner, you don't know what your final torque is. You don't know where you're ending up. And as, as Dave would say, a lot of people like to use the good and tight method. You just get it good and tight. You hit it. You hit it once. You hit it twice. I'll hit it three times. Maybe that'll be better. And all of a sudden, instead of putting the 450 to 500 foot pounds that you need to put in there, you're hitting 700, 800, 1,000 even. And you've stretched that stud. And now it will fatigue and then it will break off. So that's why it's so critical. And you were also mentioning the fact that that needs to be done, or we would say it needs to be checked, not necessarily retorqued, but it should be torque checked uh, after a certain amount of, of mileage, uh, driving it around the shop, going around some corners. Everyone has a kind of a little different uh, amount of time or distance that you need to go. But the point is you need to do that because it allows that joint to settle. Anytime you have interfaces together, you have the opportunity to have material in there. You should always clean it, clean it very well, but maybe you didn't clean it quite enough. The studs themselves should be cleaned off and make sure that there's no debris in there so that you uh, as well don't have any loosening. And that drive that you just talked about that you do, if the joint is not good, it'll start to loosen that quick. And so by checking it that within, you know, five, something say up to a hundred uh, miles, depends what you're, who you're talking to, you'll catch that and you'll be able to ensure that when that vehicle leaves, your torque is set and you're going to be good and set for a while. So I feel like I've been in a, in a master class, and I just want to make sure that I can pass the test. So if you are over torquing, can you actually put so much force on that, that you move the stud into the elastic zone so that it won't return? Yes. I pass the test. <laughs> you, you definitely can. And people do that all, they just don't realize it. You walk into a shop and they're using, uh, you know, a too large of an airline with a gun and they just, they just go at it and yeah, you can bust it right off. Okay. You get into that situation, like Doug was saying, where you pull the slinky and it doesn't stretch back to its original shape. You have to remember that what you're using to hold that wheel onto that hub is that desire of the stud to get back to its original shape. You know, when you pull it, that stud wants to spring back to its original shape. And that's what holds the whole thing together. That's called the clamping force. And if you stretch it so much that it no longer wants to go back, it's just as happy <laughs> at this new length that you've introduced. Um, yeah, it's you've lost all that clamp force and that stud is not doing its job anymore. Okay. So Dave, we started the story back in 2011. It is 2021, 10 years later. Uh, what is the fruit of, of the collaboration here uh, beyond just the lessons learned? What steps were taken? I believe that this even went as far as uh, to be introduced to TMC. So tell us the, how the story ended. We went to TMC and actually did live demonstrations why this was so important, the, the, the experts in the panel. And it's funny because we had uh, viewing sessions every hour and people would come by major fleets and watch this. And it really changed the industry because like, Maybe they didn't like the whole part of it, but they liked parts of it. So they said, wow, okay, we didn't understand why rolled threads against cut threads were so different. Or, wow, indexing sleeves. I had one major fleet say, these are cheap little insurance policies. If something does go wrong, that the wheel's not going to fall off completely. These are pretty nice things. 
So they started to pick and choose and they developed an actually a torque tool that can print out a tag of where each stud's torqued and they put it right on the work order. Well, a lot of these shops are saying, this is great because if I'm ever in a legal case, I can say, hey, here's the torques, it's printed, it's on the, the work order. So every fleet took a little bit out of wheel torque solutions. But in my thing is, is we were voted the top four new inventions that year in 2011. We got to the finals, and as I would say, as Dale Earnhardt said, we were the first loser. We were the runner-ups. <laughs> but the, the people that beat us is not even in business now. So I guess we – You, you know, won. <laughs> longevity, we did. We won. You know what I mean? But, yeah, uh, you won. <laughs> what, what I've really learned, when you see refuge trucks with aluminum wheels running around, that was not really what they wanted to do. But through this study, you see most of the refuge trucks running aluminum wheels, using the grip length, using a lot of this. And it was a great safety victory for the industry because we learned so much as people being a part of this and to share this to the industry. That's what it's supposed to be about. So I, I really felt great that I was a part of it, that I was asked to be the wheel guy in this part, and it really turned out better than I ever thought. And you never would have imagined that 10 years later, you'd be talking on podcasts about it, did you? Not back then. <laughs> that wasn't even on the radar. That was not on the radar. Well, you've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with the hosts of Alcoa Wheels Behind the Wheel podcast. To learn more, go to alcoawheels.com. I'm going to go around. Uh, we'll start with Doug. Doug, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's always a, always a pleasure. Thank you, Jamie. Mike, really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. Great talking with you, Jamie. Really enjoyed the show. And Dave, thank you so much for sharing this story. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jamie. Great pleasure. So I hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as we enjoyed doing it. Jamie, how can people get in touch with you for Heavy Duty Parts Report? So everything that we do over at the Heavy Duty Parts Report uh, lives at heavydutypartsreport.com. That's heavydutypartsreport.com. That's where we have all of our podcast episodes. We have all of our other content, things like live videos and exclusive webinars. So if anybody wants to check out the show, head over there and we'll be happy to have you. Very good. Well, again, I hope you all enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation, manufacturing, and technology. Inventing the first forged aluminum wheel in 1948, its team of experts continue to develop the most lightweight, efficient, and high-performing commercial vehicle aluminum wheel products. Bringing you revolutionary innovations like Alcoa Durabright wheels, Alcoa Durablack wheels, the new Alcoa Wheels Hubboard technology, and the lightest truck wheel on the market, Alcoa Ultra One 22.5 by 8.25 wheel. Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation.